Hey, this is Roger Bartlett, and you're tuned in to the Paul Leslie Hour. Hey, you're here? Yes, Skippy, you are. And you're plugged into episode number 996 of the Paul Leslie Hour. You know, this is Paul's second interview with singer-songwriter-guitarist Roger Bartlett. Roger's had a legendary status as the original, very first member of Jimmy Buffett's Coral Reefer Band. If you follow BuffettNews.com, you know about such things. This episode was recorded in beautiful St. Petersburg, Florida. You'll see Rogers joined by Melissa May, and you'll be treated to some unplugged musical performances as well. You know, you can help the Paul Leslie Hour in our mission to continue to bring exclusive content like this to the masses. Are you part of the masses? Go to www.thepaulleslie.com slash support and give yourself a hand. We thank you. And now I think this show needs to get rolling. Let's go! Well, ladies and gentlemen, I'm here in St. Petersburg, Florida, in the beautiful Sunshine State. I'm sitting here with a singer, songwriter, guitarist, recording artist. His most recent album is The Spice of Life. And he's also has the distinction of being the original Coral Reefer, the very first member of Jimmy Buffett's band. Our first face-to-face -face interview, Roger Bartlett. Great pleasure to sit with you. Great pleasure to sit with you, Paul. It's been a long time. We had one interview, I think it was 36 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> it, it was several moons back, but uh, it's good to have you in living color. Yeah, well, great to be here. So, Roger, what has surprised you the most about your life? Wow. I've never heard, I've gotten that question. Um, I, I, you know, I hesitate to tell you the truth. <laughs> it's a family show. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, um, that, that I've, I've managed to be a musician for all this, this time. And, and that, you know, at the age of 73, I, I just have a new album out and I'm working on a new album you know, at this time. So, you know, then I, I had an album out in, in 2021. So 2021, 2023, and now I'll probably have one out in 2025. That surprised me that I, you know, I kind of thought the one I did in 2021 would be the last one that I did. Hmm. And um, it went really well and people responded well to it. And then all of a sudden, 10 new songs plopped out. You know, I was like, okay you know and, and i had a team um working on the album of musicians and and uh singers and arrangers you know that just yeah, like i have i have a friend who's a a, a violinist uh, on broadway and i said well you know i'll get her to you know just put some pads on you know some whole notes behind some stuff and i sent her a song and she sent me back a a, a stunning arrangement you know a violin arrangement where she played violin and viola and and uh, did all the parts and and uh, 
you know, I kind of had, I had a friend, uh, her name, or the violin uh, player's name is Synovia Cummins. And um, I ha have a friend named Emily Bendiger who, who uh, you know, is a backup singer in New York. And, and um, I sent her off some stuff and, and she sent me like, you know, a, a whole arrangement, a vocal arrangement. And I was like, well, I'm, I'm really getting the best out of these people. And and uh, have some musicians here in town, a guy named Vinny Sapleski who plays bass. And, you know, Vinny is, is an excellent player and, and really works hard on stuff. And and a uh, piano player named uh, Robin Swinson who who added so much to the album. And, and uh, I had some singers here in town, a, a girl named... Uh, uh, well, it goes by the name of Honeybee, but her name is Melissa May, and she she sang on on uh, a song on the record, and and just it was you know everybody's parts were, were just excellent. I couldn't have asked for you know more from people, and and um, so uh, you know it's just been so great being down here. I kind of think of St. Petersburg now as being my sleepy little beach town, you know. So uh, I'm still cranking them out. Melissa and I are writing together. And, um, you know, there's another girl who sang on the album named Sienna Alida, who sang on uh, uh, the first song, uh, Peace of Mind, and she sang on another song on the album called Wheels Turning. You know, and, and she did an excellent job. I, you know, it just, you know, I'm just astounded that, that I was able in my apartment to produce something that that you know sounds like a finished record that cost you know five million dollars you know so uh don't tell the musicians it should have cost that <laughs> <laughs> well the production on on the this most recent record is really excellent and i'm very curious because you know having listened to your earlier recordings there's a lot more of uh latin sounds little jazzy inflections here and there. Has living in Florida had an influence on you? It, it has. It's had a profound influence on me. When I was in New York uh, City, I, I was more of like a blues rock kind of guy. And I had a little jazzy thing in what I was doing. I always loved jazz. And then uh, um, a friend of mine named Phyllis McBride had an idea to write a, a jazz musical. And so she got me, you know, exploring all, all these, you know, jazz chords and jazz progressions and and uh, stuff. There's a song actually on on uh, the Spice of Life from the musical that we wrote together called Zinzi. Yeah. Um, there's a song in there called Zinzi's Theme, which it's a an instrumental. Uh, but there was, you know, that sort of got me headed in the way of jazz. And then when I got down here, you know, I began to meet. Uh, you know, Cuban musicians and, and uh, you know, uh, listen to, to Brazilian pop and, and uh, I went to Portugal and, and uh, you know, which is closely tied to Brazil um, and uh, wrote a song about a girl in Portugal named Catarina. It's, it's on the record. Um, so Florida's had a, a big influence on me musically. That and... and you know, when I was in New York City, it was mostly appearing with a band. But down here, almost everything is solo or duo. 
So, you know, I found myself sitting with an acoustic guitar, you know, playing gigs, you know, without a band. And, you know, that does have a big impact on how you write as well, so. Well, that Zinzi's theme, I really like that melody. And maybe you just play us just a few seconds. I pictured myself when I was listening to that, I thought I could imagine myself in some really nice restaurant about to stuff myself. And this is playing. Well. It's kind of hard to do. It's, it's mainly a, mm -hmm. a piano saxophone song. I'm just kind of playing rhythm in the background. I got you. Um, but uh, that was one of the songs from the musical that... that really stuck with me and it actually it's been getting a, a lot of response from people uh, uh, people seem to really like it a, a bunch the the album kind of you know I've always had a problem staying in one musical genre and the album continues that by wandering from you know between jazz and rock and pop and blues and you know so it's 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 kind of like a, it's more like a, a '60s album in that hmm. you know back then you could get away with doing several different musical styles, uh, whereas today they like you to be in one particular thing. So. Right. Something that you mentioned the first time that we talked that I thought, well, I really, I really blew it in terms of not asking you more about it. You told a quick aside that I just thought, like, wow. How about that? About eating oysters when you were just a boy. Did you have an experience where you were eating oysters with a musical legend with your father? I did. I did. Uh, my father used to be an announcer for the Louisiana Hayride. And, um, you know, after he left the Hayride, I, he was in the Hayride... Um, probably 1951, 52, 53, maybe um, so 54, somewhere around in there. And then he left the Hayride because he went, went to a different radio station. And we went back and uh, went down to the Hayride when I was, I guess, 11 or 12. And after the Hayride, we went out to uh, the Mirror Steakhouse where we had... Uh, oysters with uh, um, Roy Orbison and uh, another artist whose name was Stonewall Jackson. There's a name you're probably not going to hear <laughs> these days. Uh, but uh, I remember looking at Roy. Roy had like the thickest glasses I had ever seen. I was like, oh my God, they're like Coke bottles, you know. But he was a very nice guy. I was like 11, you know, so that, that was kind of cool. Well, Roger, would you like to maybe play us something? No. Maybe a <laughs> sample? <laughs> sure, sure. Uh, you know, can I get Melissa to sing along? Absolutely. You know. All right, th th this is a song from, from the new album, The Spice of Life. And uh, it's a second song on the album. And it, it's really been getting a lot of response from people. Um, it's called Enjoying a Beautiful Day.
I've been whistling a tune with a grin Hoping this day won't end I've been singing a song in my mind Singing I feel fine I should be doing whatever I'm doing today Riding the wind pretty soon I'll be flying away yeah, enjoying a beautiful day Ooh, Enjoying a beautiful day Ooh, Why don't you come along for the ride We'll have some fun Picnic time in the grass Neath the trees With the birds and bees We should be doing Whatever we're doing today Riding the wind Pretty soon we'll be flying away Enjoying a beautiful day. Ooh, enjoying a beautiful day. Thank you. Just a little bit of it. There's there's a a, a lot more going on there. And, uh, you know, we've got a bunch of really great songs on the, uh, the album. Um, I guess you want me to do another one now? Okay. Well, we got, we got Melissa strapped down to the chair. <laughs> yeah, you why can not? Space um, it out if, if you if want. You're up, if you all are up for it. Okay. Okay. Uh, we'll, keep, we'll keep rolling. All right. All right um, actually, here's one. This, uh, this is one for, from the album before. The Spice of Life. This is from my album Sunset. And, uh, you know, I, I played out on St. Pete Beach at a place called the Paradise Grill. Melissa Ooh. plays out there, too. Uh, a guy named John Schneider books us in there. And uh, it, it has, you know, there's signs all over St. Pete saying, St. Pete, the sunset capital of the world. And... Um, you know, so we sit out there on the beach. There's a little like wooden stage, and and uh, watch the sun go down in the afternoon. I was like, "What song shall I sing?" You know, I was like, "Should I do I don't know, Black Magic Woman?" <laughs> no, that's probably not going to do it. Should I do? Uh, uh, I couldn't figure out, so I, I wrote one, and this is called Sunset. <laughs> Watch the sun go down 
slip into the bay. While the world spins round It happens every day Golden colors turn to red Then to blue Then to gray While the spirits of the night Chase the light away at sunset, sunset, at sunset, sunset. When the shadows fall, the stars begin to rise. Hear the moonlight call The stardust in your eyes Golden colors turn to red Then to blue Then to gray While the spirits of the night Chase the light away at sunset, sunset, at sunset, sunset. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Some great performances that you all did there. Oh, well, thank you. Absolutely. So, Roger, has the reason that you create music, has it changed through the years? Not really. You know, it, 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 you know I'm just sort of compelled to do it. You know, when, when I, I, after the, the Sunset album, I thought that was going to be my last album, and stuff just kept coming out. You know, it's sort of like, you know, it, the, the universe sends stuff to me, and I play and I go, oh, I like that, you know, so I, I just start writing another song and, you know, luckily, lately, other people have liked it too. <laughs> I recall in our first interview, you were talking about some of the the old songs that you learned early on, like folk kind of songs, like Tom Dooley, right, right. things like that. But what would you say in terms of the influences as a songwriter as a guitarist, as a singer, who are the big Roger Bartlett influences? Well, you know, the Beatles, you know, everybody says the Beatles, but, you know, I was 14 when the Beatles came to the U.S., you know, and, and uh, that had a huge impact on everybody. Um, and, I, you know, I think I wrote my, my first song when I was 14. It was called, Oh, the Gypsy Wanderer. It was not a big hit, <laughs> but but you know I I just kept writing over the years. Um, you know I, when you're young, you know you write about the the heartbreak or the the pretty girls or the you know and then when you're older you know your your subject matter 
kind of spreads out a little bit, but you know, there's always heartbreaking pretty girls, you know, no, no matter what age you are. You know, where there's pretty girls, there's heartbreak. <laughs> this is very true. <laughs> uh, but but now I have more subjects, you know, I like to branch out and do things, songs about other things, you know, I have a, a song called Wheels Turning, you know, it's just about how things just keep going on, no matter, you know, the constant in life is change, you know, and, and, um, you know, I do have a song about a pretty girl, you know, named Katarina on the, on the album and, and, uh, on the Sunset album, I, I have, uh, you know, a little song about heartbreak called Nothing Lasts Forever, hmm. you know, but then, you know, I, I have Dallas that I wrote, you know, that Jimmy Buffett recorded. Um, you know, a long time ago when, when I was, I wrote that when I was 20 years old, <laughs> you know, so that was like over a hundred years ago. <laughs> I, I'm curious about that song, Dallas. You, you told me before about how you felt like you were kind of unfair to Dallas. And I've done that before. You know, you go to a city and maybe your experiences aren't so good and you walk away and you say, you know, this town sucks. But I, I'm curious, and then maybe you go back and you think, ah, maybe it was just the circumstances of the time. But I'm curious how Jimmy Buffett, how did he, what did he say about it? What about that song do you think resonated with him where he thought, you know, I'm going to cut this one? Well, uh, you know, I'll have to admit, I, I used a little little deception on him, you know. He, he, he had me in, he said, uh, you know, Play me some songs, play me some of your songs, because I want to record one of your songs on the next album. So I played him a song I'd written called, A Buccaneer Looks at 39. <laughs> he said, no, 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 that's, that's not really good. So uh, I played him a song I'd written called, I Wish I Had a Handlebar Mustache. <laughs> and, uh, you know, but I, I played him Dallas, and he liked Dallas, but I told him Jerry Jeff Walker was going to record it. And he was like, no, 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 I'll, I'll, I'll put this one on that next album. And you know, really, the truth is, Jerry Jeff had heard it, and he said, I like the song, but he said, Dallas is one of my biggest markets. I would never do this. <laughs> you know, one point in time, um, a guy from the Dallas Morning News, you know, emailed me, and he said, you know, I, I was going to interview Jimmy Buffett before his next concert here, and ask him why he wrote Dallas. And he said, I did a little more research and I realized that you wrote it. He said, you know, what What do you have against Dallas? And I was like, well, you know, it was the circumstances of the time, you know. Right. And after that, I kind of rewrote the lyrics, you know, and I'd never done my own version of the song mm -hmm. until during the pandemic. In 2020, I recorded a version of the song, and I did one of those little pandemic videos where everybody chimes in from their respective location, you know? Right. Um, so, uh, you know, it's my song, so I can I can change the words if I want to. Right. You, know, so. you could flip it on its head. I could do Say, whatever, anything. Yeah. If you ever get the chance to go to Dallas, take it for, from me. Go. Go. <laughs> 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 what was your first impression back in the 70s when you met Jimmy Buffett? Oh, wow. You know, I was, the first time I met him, 
I was with a, a an acoustic trio that was kind of like Crosby, Stills, and Nash meets the band, and we were called the Outlaw Brothers, and um, we opened for him at the Exit Inn in Nashville there, and I, you know, I just met him briefly, and then about a year and a half later, I'd gone to Austin, Texas, and and uh, I was working with the band that was opening for him, and. Um, Back in those days, you'd do like th three or four nights. You know, it'd be like Wednesday through Saturday or Thursday through Saturday or Sunday, you know, whatever. Uh, and probably on the last night, you know, back in the green room or it wasn't really a green room. It was like the office behind the bar. And I said, you know what? You need a guitar player. And he said, oh, yeah? I said, yeah, me. And he said, uh, well, come up and, and uh, sit in with me on the next set. I mean, I didn't really know his songs, and, you know, uh, that's how kind of loosey-goosey things were back then. Come on up and sit in with me, and we'll see how it goes, he said. So I went up there, and I watched his hands, you know, and kind of played along, and whether I could hear harmony, I was like, Monday, Monday, you know. <laughs> so the next thing I knew, uh, I was at the Troubadour with him, and we were opening for a, a guy named Hoyt Axton. <laughs> You know who Hoyt Axton is? Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, and then we did, we did I don't know, four or five days at the Troubadour, and then we did a, a, a tour of New England with Three Dog Night flying on their DC-3, you know, which was, you know, we played the, the, mu the Boston Music Hall, and we played um, uh, Rochester, New York, we played a state, or not a stadium, a, an arena there. And then we played another arena in um, Bangor, Maine. You know, and I remember that the, the promoter in, in uh, Boston came backstage to, and he was talking to Jimmy and he said, you know, you got to be off the stage by nine o'clock. The dog has to go on at nine because if they don't go on at nine, they, we might go into overtime and the, the stage hands will, will get overtime and it will cost me to, the dog has to go on at night, so please get off so the dog can play. I was like, I never forgot that. <laughs> Roger, would you say that there was something that you learned from the experience of not only being around Jimmy Buffett, but also from being in the Coral Reefer Band? Oh, yeah, a lot of things I learned. You know, when, when I went to work for him, we played every kind of gig from the cafeteria in a college, you know, to um, playing a festival with just me and him to 135,000 people. You know, it was a, there was a festival in Oklahoma that had, had uh, uh, John Hartford and Charlie Daniels and Doc Watson and me and him. You know, we walked out on the stage and there were like 135,000 people in the audience. And for two, two acoustic guitars... You know, I'm glad I drank in those days, you know, because <laughs> I don't want to go on that stage by myself, you know. <laughs> I remember in our first interview, you saying the Coral Reefer Band was not a sentimental sort of band. Uh, you said, you know, it was it was a party time. Uh, but, you know, with with Mr. Buffett sailing on. I'm wondering, can you tell us what's your, your fondest memory of Jimmy? 
you know, when I left the band, you know, he was so nice. He gave me a Rolex Oyster Perpetual watch. And, um, you know, and, and, and he helped set me up with uh, an A&R guy from a record label that, you know, I was unable to turn that into a record deal. But, you know, he did his dead level best to, to give me a boost up, you know, and the, the fact that, that uh, you know, nothing came of it was my fault. You know, I, you know, I just, you know, it was like getting into the 80s where the disco thing was beginning to happen and the punky thing was going on. And, you know, I was a blues rocker, which was probably not, well, not probably, but it was, it was definitely not what, what the record labels were looking for at that time. You know, and, and with, with Margaritaville, Margaritaville happened, I played on that record, but I left just before that record uh, came out. And, um, you know, that kind of put him on the map. He was always a guy who was in his own genre. You know, he worked out of Nashville, but he was never a country act, never really a pop act. You know, he was, you know, we used to talk about that and he would try to come up with a name for the, the kind of music that, that he did. He, at one point, he decided to call it Golf and Western. <laughs> but, but now I guess there's all these trop rockers. And I, I guess, you know, people associate him with trop rock, but, you know, trop rock is, is not really what he did. Mm -mm. So, no. So, I don't know, you know, it's, it was a great experience. I have to tell you, you know, there were so many, you know, funny things that happened to us and incredible things. And, you know, at one point I ran into him. He said, you're not telling embarrassing stories about me, are you? <laughs> I said, I stopped. <laughs> Do you, in terms of your recording with him, do you remember any specific cuts that you especially liked playing on? Well, I played on A Pirate Looks at 40. You know, I, I liked playing on that. When I first went to work for him, that was the A1A A album was the first album that I played on. And, and uh, you know, I was just too young and stupid to realize that I was in over my head. And I just went ahead and, you know, played my heart out, you know, and, and uh, they managed to keep me on the album, you know, because there was all these heavy-duty Nashville guys there, and Jimmy was really great. He, he uh, you know, pitched for me to, to play on the record, where I, I know the, the record producer was not really that anxious to have me play, and, and uh, I, I was happy that Jimmy stood up for me and, and got me on there, and so to be on a song, you know, like the uh, Pirate Looks at 40 is really, uh, you know, an extra special thing to me. Uh, but, you know, that whole album was really great. We went into the studio and I think we did it in maybe, I don't know, three or four days. You know, we just went in with the band, like one, two, three, four, you know, play through it. And then, you know, they went in a couple of days later and did the vocal overdubs and the, the producer was a background singer guy named Don Gant and uh, so he brought his background singing people in and they they did their thing and added whatever the other stuff they were but the the guy who played electric guitar on that stuff was Reggie Young who was a legendary studio player 
you know, and, and uh, I should have been like totally intimidated by him, but like I say, I was like too young and too stoned. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, Doyle Grisham, the, the the pedal steel player who was still with Jimmy, you know, right up here till the last was was there. He didn't really start playing in the band on the road until the '90s, uh, but he played on all Jimmy's albums. Uh, and uh, the drummer was a guy named Sammy Creason, who actually played with a group called Bill Black's Combo. Now, I don't know, you got to be really old to know, remember Bill Black's Combo. They were an instrumental group. Oh, yeah. But at one point, they toured Europe, and their opening act was the Beatles. <laughs> What's something? Yeah, yeah. And, and um, let me see, Farrell Morris was the, was the percussionist, and, and, Tommy Cogbill played bass, and uh, Mike Utley played keyboard, and Steve Goodman. Uh, I don't know, you know who Steve Goodman is. Steve Goodman Definitely. played some guitar on there too. Uh, Steve Goodman was was a unique personality that I got to meet through Jimmy Buffett. You know, a great songwriter, great guitar player, and and a hell of a nice guy. I have one more Buffett question. This this is a, a submitted question. Okay, so. You were the first Coral Reefer guitarist. This question comes from the final Coral Reefer guitarist. This is from Peter Mayer. Okay. And he wants to know, being the first per se guitarist for Jimmy, Roger Bartlett had that unique gift of seeing Jimmy as a young, enthusiastic, sky's the limit point in his career. What quality, what strength does he remember most about Jimmy when he had a hard day? say, a small audience, piss-poor food, or a piss-poor club owner, for a man that brought so much joy and many fun happy fun times to many people, I'd kind of like to know who he was in the hardest of times. You know, what? we were not really going through the hardest of times then, you know. There, there, there might have been a club or two, you know, that was not populated as well as, as he would have liked. But, you know, back in those days, you know, he was more of a raconteur. You know, once he got into the big stadium kind of thing, you can't really tell a story like he could at the quiet night in Chicago. And, um, you know, he was a great storyteller and, and, and he would ramble on. And, and uh, we played a gig once at, at the bottom line in New York City and, and he got nervous and he didn't tell the stories and we didn't get over very well. And after the show, the guy from the record label said, you got to talk, you got to tell the stories, you know? Uh, so after that, you know, he, he stuck to his story thing. You know, when I first went to work for him, you know, he was traveling alone and, and it was really kind of lonesome out there and nobody to hang around with. And, and, uh, you know, when he and I got together, you know, we, we had some great times. Um, and, uh, you know, that, the, the, the storyteller thing, you know, was how he got through all the, 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 the tough times, you know, but I have to say there, there weren't really that many tough times, you know, cause he was kind of on the rise then, not, not really that famous, you know, you know, people that would be like Jimmy Buffett, who's that, you know? As opposed to now, you know, he could still walk down the street and we'd go hang out. We'd go 
walk through New Orleans and, you know, I can, I can vaguely remember, you know, going out, hanging with him, New Orleans, getting just totally smashed, you know, ending up still awake the, when the sun came up on the levee down there in New Orleans, <laughs> which, you know, for years I didn't know really where the levee was because I was so drunk, you know, that, that we just sort of ended up there. And then I went down there later after I'd sobered up and, and uh, with my wife at the time and, and we turned around a corner and, a, and the levee came. I was like, there it is. <laughs> it's the levee. <laughs> uh, we had some really great times in, in New Orleans. And, you know, he was always a man to, to uh, you know, sample the best. You know, we'd go to the best restaurant, you know. We'd stay at the best hotel. We, you know, he, he was quite, a, quite a, a, a sophisticated guy. You know, quite a reader. I've always been a reader, and, and it was really nice to get out on the road. And he, you know, fed me books. You know, he, he turned me on to Larry McMurtry and Jim Harrison and Tom McGuane and, uh, and Hunter Thompson, all these people he hung out with. Um, we, had, we had a fantastic time uh, doing everything, you know. He'd go out with the band. He'd buy the whole band a dinner and, you know, just it was just terrifically fun times. We do stuff like one time we, we played uh, a birthday for a guy named uh, Dan Gerber, who was of the Gerber baby food family. And we went out to his house and, and uh, you know, he had a, a balloonist fly in and set the balloon down in his backyard. And then a, a ma magician got out and did a magic show and when the show was over, he got back in the balloon, and the balloon took. Now, how they how they did that, I don't know, but you know, the, how they you know could steer that balloon to be there, <laughs> I, I don't really know. But uh, you know, we do stuff like that when we, we when uh, he was doing the movie Rancho Deluxe. You know, we went out to Hollywood and we hung around with uh, the director uh, Elliot Kastner. Uh, went to his house and Elliot was like, uh, he had me take him down to the music store and help him buy a guitar. So he would have a guitar there when people came by to, to hang out, you know, and we hung around with a couple of little starlets, you know, which, uh, yeah, it was really kind of cool. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, I, I didn't get to go to, uh, to Montana to be in the movie because uh, it was a low budget movie. It had the unknown actors at the time. Uh, one was named Jeff Bridges, and the other unknown actor was a guy named Sam Waterston. Right. You know who who later became known, <laughs> to say the least. Yes. Well, Roger, would how would you feel about doing maybe one or one more song? One more song. Or as many as you like. Okay, I'll be happy to do some. This is a, a song that I wrote that Jimmy recorded and put on his A1A album. It's called Dallas. If you ever get the chance to go to Dallas, take it from me, pass it by. But you only sing the blues down in Take it from me, don't go and cry 
And I'm leaving this town as soon as I can Gonna stop off for a while and see my woman Yeah People do you wrong down in Dallas I know well they've done it to me Stealing all your bread, they're so callous. so callous I know well, just look and see And I'm leaving this town as soon as I can Gonna stop off for a while and see my woman Yeah I'm telling you now, don't get me wrong Some people down there help me along my way Like a house of cards in a hurricane It was hard to stay Come on down and lose your mental balance Look at me, half crazy now Talking to chairs, a stranger, I know it Look at me, I'm doing it now and I'm leaving this town as soon as I can Gonna stop off for a while and see my woman Leaving this town as soon as I can Gonna stop off for a while and see my woman Yeah! That was fantastic. Thanks, I wrote that. Yes, indeed. <laughs> Age 20. Uh, all right, so... Uh, Peace of Mind. Peace of Mind. All right, here's one off of the uh, Spice of Life album. It's the first song. I co-wrote it with a guy named Andrew Talbert. It's called Peace of Mind. Everybody's got to have it If you want it, you can get it But you just got to be there On time If you don't want to lose it Once you wrap your arms around it You just got to hold on So tight Peace of mind Comes in time That's what I'm hoping for Let it go Feel it flow Warm winds blow through your mind Well, you're never gonna buy it And you're never gonna sell it You don't get a discount it's free, nobody's gonna give it, ain't nobody gonna take it, you just get a feeling inside. Peace of mind comes in time, that's what I'm hoping for. Feel it flow Warm 
All you gotta do is want it And you gotta try to find it And then it's gonna sneak up On you If you want it, you can get it And it doesn't cost you twenty It's already inside Of you of mine comes in time that's what I'm hoping for let it go feel it flow warm winds blow through your mind let it go You know, Roger, you were mentioning in this interview some really interesting people that you've crossed paths with and also places that you've been from the exit in to the Troubadour, you know, uh, some very, very unique experiences. Would you say that your experiences, have they molded you to be more of a half glass empty or a half glass full kind of person? A half glass full kind of person. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I, I, at this point in my life, you know, I want to be happy. You know, and I want to look at the good side of things. I mean, if not now, then when? Mm. You know, as as the song goes. Um, hmm. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm on more of a positive thing. Like I have a song right now. It's a. Come to me like a storm front, thunder and lightning and rain. A warm, sunny smile, that's what I want. And a place in the sun once again. I want to smile like a Cheshire cat does up in a tree. I want to laugh like a pirate when he's sailing to sea. Very nice. So, you know, that's the direction I, I want to go in. Yeah. You know, I want, to, I, want, I want things to be good. It kind of has a kind of a tone like a, a lot of the standards, the, the Great American Songbook kind of sound. Well, you know... I'm I'm looking at music, you know, the entirety of music for for what I do now cuz I'm an old guy and and uh I've got a lot of experience through all kinds of different genres of music and so, you know, I'm really looking at music more as art than fashion, hmm. you know. So that allows me to take something from wherever I I wish, you know, rather than try to focus in on what's hot now. Hmm. Yeah. You know, speaking of those really renowned people that you crossed paths with, I wrote some of them down. Hoyt Axton, as you mentioned, but also if people go on rogerbartlett.com, uh, two T's at the end of Bartlett. Hoyt Axton, Eagles, James Taylor, 
Count Basie. Count Basie, yeah. Jackie Wilson. I mean, my goodness. Who <laughs> who was the coolest or who were you in awe to be around? Well, Count Basie was definitely uh, a, an awesome guy. <laughs> you know, uh, I was playing in a in a band in Dallas, Texas. We we were doing the the dance sets and then the the main act would come on and uh, I met Count Basie backstage and he was so stoned. You know, it's like, hey, I'm Roger Bartlett. He was like, you're beautiful, baby. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Jackie Wilson was it was was playing at that same club, and and uh, you know he he came in. He was like, hey, any of you guys got a joint? <laughs> I was like, I do. So we went out to the van and smoked a joint, and and uh, so I sat out there with Jackie for however long that lasted, and then we did the show with him that night. You know, the the thing about you know, playing gigs with people on the same bill is you don't really get to hang out that much with them. You know, you right. you know they come and do their sound check. You do your sound check. You might see them backstage, but you don't get, really get to sit around and say, "Hey, man, what's happening?" You know, <laughs> right? Nonetheless, you do have a list of bragging rights that you can carry around in your back pocket. I do, you know, but that and four seventy five will get me a latte. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I always like to end my interviews very open-ended, impossibly, the, as wide as the o ocean. For anybody who's watching or anyone who's listening, wherever they are out there, what would you say to all the folks? I would say, go out and catch some live music. You know, buy some music. You know, don't, you know, go download some MP3s. Don't just stream, um, you know. Um, do do what you can to keep live music alive, because um, God knows the, the music scene, the gig scene is is really, you know, uh, hurting at the moment. Uh, you know, or down here, you know, it's all singles and duos, and you know, it's hard to get a band gig going. So, mm. you know, go out there and see your favorite musician and support them. That's right. Well, Roger Bartlett, it's a pleasure to sit down with you. My pleasure. Thank you very much. And also, thank you to Melissa May and the adorable Remington for all the positive vibes. All right, <laughs> folks. Thanks so much for watching. Until next time. We thank you and appreciate you dropping in for the Paul Leslie Hour today. You know, you can help the Paul Leslie Hour in our mission to provide independent media content like this by visiting www.thepaulleslie.com slash support. We truly thank you. This is your announcer speaking. Performance of the Entertainer intro song and Corina Corina outro song, courtesy of John Primerano. Well, that's it for today. So until next time, be safe and be good. <laughs>